This morning, we're continuing our series on marriage reflection, just looking at uh, marriage and specifically at marriage as a reflection of God's relationship with us. We started the series looking at fearing God, and then we talked about the friendship aspect of the marriage relationship. We talked about being one as a couple. Gria talked about serving each other within the relationship. Last week, Dave talked about communication. He's going to continue talking about communication next week. There's a lot of communication that needs to happen around communication. Today, we're talking about being fruitful. And let me start by an aside for those of you that aren't married. Thanks for being here for this series. Many of you have been taking furious notes as you're hoping to be married someday in the future. Maybe you've been apathetic or frustrated, though, feeling like this isn't hitting you. Let me just say a few things. First of all, again, thanks for being here. Church is about so much more than a message on Sunday, so thanks for being present. You're an important part of the body of Christ and of this local congregation. Also, uh, we've been including stuff each week for you called Start Well. Go back and review your notes. Go back and listen if you missed the Start Well from a specific message. And today we're going to be talking a lot about singleness. So dial in. A lot of today's message applies to you. So again, today we're talking about being fruitful, which is about so much more than Genesis 1.28, which says, be fruitful and multiply. We're going to be getting into what it looks like to serve others as a married couple, to be fruitful in growing the kingdom. There's a lot of great stuff we're going to be talking about. But your relationship with Jesus takes priority over serving others. Your marriage takes priority over serving others. You can't pour into others if you're not full yourself. John, you're, uh, you're looking a little thirsty. Can I offer you a cup of water? Yeah, all right. Here you go. It's completely empty. <laughs> okay, this is ludicrous, right? I mean, we all get how foolish this idea is. John, I can't give you any water if I don't have any to give. But if I've got water, I can fill you up. Right? I'm not trying to do a magic trick or anything because I'm horrible at that. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. It, it, I know this is such a dumb visual, but I wanted to do it because how often do we do this ourselves? How often do we try to pour into someone else when we are empty? Some people use serving as an excuse not to spend time with God themselves. Well, I, I serve a lot, so my relationship with him must be good. Sure, I, I don't read my Bible, but I'm doing lots for him. We see someone named Martha 
in Scripture doing that very thing. Some people, if they're really being honest with themselves, even use service as an escape from their challenges at home. Sorry, honey, but I can't have this difficult conversation with you. I need to go serve. I've had people who were serving in a ministry while their marriage was falling apart. I lovingly asked them to take a step back from serving so that they could focus on the home front. What does an empty pitcher have to give? Nothing. And so I realize for some of you, your action item may be to stop serving so that you can focus on your marriage. Jesus gives us uh, another fantastic visual around this concept. Now, he uses it in regards to judging others, but the concept follows. In Matthew 7, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now we've grown up learning about this, um, but sometimes visuals are really helpful, right? You know, Tori, you got something here. Let, let me get that for you. <laughs> Utterly ridiculous, right? Like I, I loved, I, I, I heard a guy preach on this passage, and he picked up one of these and, and did this. And I was like, that's hilarious. And sometimes we need that visual to just go, how ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is it that, that we can't stop and see the issues that are right in front of us and take care of those first? And then we can move on and serve others and care for others well in a positive way. So like I said, for some of you, your action item may be to pull out of whatever ministry you're serving in and focus on your marriage. Or focus on your relationship with God. If that's the case, I encourage you to go and talk to the ministry leader. Let them know what's going on so they can come alongside you. They can encourage you. They can put an arm around you and walk through this with you. As you grow, as you heal. We spent five weeks talking about the internal of marriage relationships focused on the two. We're going to spend another week talking about that. I wanted to be sure that the last five weeks weren't lost on any of us. That we were all on the same page with this before moving forward. I've been there. I've put serving before my relationship with Laura. I have. It took someone lovingly coming alongside and saying, you know what, Ben, you need to not go on this missions trip. You need to stay at home. You need to care for your wife. That comes first. For me to wake up and realize, like, man, I'm so outward focused, but I'm missing out on the ministry that God has called me to right here, and I'm blowing it. So it has to begin there. That's where God wants me to serve first at home. 
Let me pray as we continue on in our time. God, forgive us if we're busy doing and not connecting. God, if we're so busy doing things and we're not connecting with our spouse, or we're so busy doing things and we're not connecting with you. God, that's where the relationship needs to be first and foremost is with you. That's where the relationship at home needs to be first and foremost is with our spouse. And so God, help us to be honest with ourselves. Evaluate rightly where, we, where we're at because that needs to be cared for first. God, as we dive into uh, this idea of serving others, um, God, I just want to say thank you for giving us gifts, uh, for blessing us in the ways that you have. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together, for the freedom that we have um, to dive into your word uh, and to proclaim it boldly and loudly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so with that as our foundation, let's talk about serving. Grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to kind of hop around uh, in that chapter. And as you're turning there, let me just read you verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We've been talking about heading for a couple of years now, looking at where God has us going as a church, what he has us focused on, uh, and, and where our efforts are being poured into. And one of those points of heading is on all members using gifts. And so we're focused on that as a church, and we're here to help every single member of the body of Christ use the gifts that God has given them for the glory of God. But it's also what every believer should be focused on, using our gifts as a response of gratitude to what God has done for us. So each of us that calls Jesus our Lord should be looking for ways to use the gifts that God has given us. Now you're on 1 Corinthians 12, and now I am too. Let's take a look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, most of us would say that our spouse is a gift, especially if we don't like sleeping on the couch, right? But how many of us view our marriage as a gift? Again, not the spouse. Well, yes, spouses are gifts. 
The marriage itself is a gift from God. Along the same lines that leadership is a gift, or preaching is a gift, exhortation. We just went through this whole list where it's talking about prophecy, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Those are all gifts from the Spirit. Marriage is also a gift from the Spirit. Now, not to leave those out who are single. Those who are not married, your singleness is a gift. I know it may not always feel that way, but it is. Christians talk often about the gift of celibacy, which is also a gift from God that Paul talks about in Scripture. But that's too narrow to fully capture the gift of singleness that God offers to many. Now, you teens that aren't marrying age yet, God has given you a gift to learn and grow in your relationship with him on your own. Embrace that. Embrace it. And yes, some of you are dating. That relationship is a gift, but so is the fact that you're not married to that person. There are things you can do, ways you can serve while you're not married, even if you're dating someone. Also, being a parent is a gift. Having kids is a gift. I know many parents don't feel that way sometimes, but it is. Having said all of that, listen to this passage again with the mindset that whatever state you're in, whether married or single, parent or not, is a gift from God. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is our key verse this morning. 1 Corinthians twelve seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Can the Spirit be manifested in someone's marriage? Should he be? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can the Spirit be manifested in someone's singleness? Yes. Can the Spirit be manifested in someone's dating relationship? Can the Spirit be manifested in someone's parenting, in their kids? Can the Spirit be manifested in a couple that doesn't have kids? Yes, 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 yes. The Spirit can be manifested in all these different ways. And in verse 11, we see all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. I know it's hard when you long to be in a different state than where you are. Many of you that are single may be longing for a spouse. Many of you that don't have kids may be longing for kids. Know that it's okay to desire a spouse to desire kids, to pray for those things. For some of you, you've brought others in to pray with you. But don't miss out on where God has you 
because you're so focused on longing for what could be. Let me say that again, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Don't miss out on where God has you because you're so focused on longing for what could be. This applies to everyone in every stage of life. In 1 Corinthians 7.17, it says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. That verse is in the middle of a passage on marriage. And so the big walkaway I see here is that God has called us to where we are. So while we are there, we need to be fully present. Fully present. I've seen singles do this well. Take advantage of their singleness and use it to serve in unique ways. I've seen couples without kids do this well as also. I wish I had learned this while I was single. I spent way too much time wishing for a wife that I know I missed out on serving in some ways where God could have used me. So with this mindset, let's take a look in 1 Corinthians 12 at verses 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. If the single should say, because I'm not married, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged all the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's your key truth this morning. Your stage in life is a gift from God. Use it. Your stage in life is a gift from God. So use it. Wherever God has you, use your gifts to the glory of God. Think about the unique ways you can do that. Now let's talk about how. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And that's where we're going to hang out the rest of this morning. We're going to talk about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were a believing couple that lived during the time of Paul in the early church. Though they are only mentioned in 12 verses, either directly or by context, we find out a lot about this couple that served well together. Now, just to clear it up, sometimes the wife is called Priscilla, sometimes she's called Prissa, same person. Prissa is just the more formal version of the name, Priscilla is more casual. But same person. So here we are in Acts chapter 18. 
starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here we see Priscilla and Aquila just stepping up in the area of hospitality. Hey, Paul, you need a place to stay. You're here in Corinth. We got a place for you. Hey, we're also tent makers. We can talk tent maker lingo, you know, rivets and string and cloth and fabric and I don't know, whatever the heck they were talking about. I don't know tents very well either. Probably not zippers back then, but hey, you never know. Uh, you know, so here they are hanging out together and they're ministering to Paul saying, hey, yeah, we've got a place for you to stay. Having moved uh, from Rome, by the way, they kind of hop around a lot. They, they, from how we can follow them in Scripture, they were in Rome, and then they went to Corinth, and then they go to Ephesus, which we'll see in just a minute, and then they go back to Rome. Uh, so they're just all over the place. Jump down to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. So here they go off with Paul. At Sencrae, he had his uh, hair cut, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them, being Priscilla and Aquila. He left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So here he has them come with and leaves them in Ephesus to continue ministering. He trusts them enough to leave them behind and continue to do the work of the ministry while he continues on. This is a solid couple. And then we see a little bit more uh, down in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and talked accordingly, accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here, they teach a younger believer together. They're doing it together. They're serving together. We see also uh, in Second Timothy, they're greeted. Uh, in First Corinthians 16, uh, 19, they're hosting and probably leading a house church in Ephesus. Uh, the, the letter to Corinth says, Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. And then in Romans uh, 16, this, this is all in your notes. Uh, in Romans 16, they're hosting, hosting a house church in Rome. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So again, here they are hosting a house church, but they put their lives on the line for Paul and were well-known and appreciated by many in the area. So they moved around a bunch, but everywhere they went, they served. They found ways to serve together. So, how do we do this? How do we follow after their example and serve together? 
Let me give you some different ways to be fruitful, along with some examples. The first and most obvious way is by having kids. Again, in Genesis 1.28, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This was the beginning of the idea that marriage is not just for the two of them, but that it is for them to do things together that neither could do on their own. And obviously, having kids falls squarely in that category. Parents, don't neglect or sell short the first calling you have as parents to train up your children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. It's easy to get so wrapped up in serving others or thinking you have all this time with your kids that they don't get prioritized. But anyone that has older kids will tell you that time is short. Also, good luck finding a parent that says they wish they had spent less time with their kids. So in your marriage, pour into your kids. Work together. Strategize together. Talk about your goals for them and how you plan on getting there. And then act on it. And to those without kids... You have the ability to serve in unique ways as a couple that those with kids cannot. Use that time well. I know some couples who have done a great job at this, using their greater flexibility to serve others in a way that families with kids could not. Again, I know that some of you without kids desire to have kids. But again, don't miss out on where God has you because you're so focused on longing for what could be. So how else can you be fruitful as a married couple? Pour into other couples. Either glean from a couple that's further along than you, learning what you can from them, or pour into a younger couple, uh, passing on things you've learned, or spend time with a couple that's in the same phase of life as you, sharing your joys and struggles. In fact, this is your key practice this week. Your key practice is to go on an intentional double date. Go on an intentional double date. This is something you can uniquely do as a couple. And if you do it with an intentionality, you can be fruitful as you meet with others. It will grow you in your relationship with God individually, as a couple, and it will help the other couple also. So make it happen. This week... Get something on the calendar with another couple. By the way, Laura and I love seafood and Mongolian barbecue. Okay? Just (laughs) thrown out there. In case you wanted to know. But we're open to lots of other things too. Just saying. There are many other ways to serve together. To be fruitful together. My parents were always a great example of this. They're sitting right up here. I'm going to embarrass them a little bit. Uh, They always taught Sunday school together, which they're going to do second service. They served at my high school together. Uh, They were always hospitable, hosting missionary families on furlough and hosting basketball teams of 12 college-age guys, which, you know, for me, having four younger sisters, having an influx of 12 guys into my house was fantastic. 
I was on top of the world. <gasps> Men, yes, good. Can I hang out with you? Uh, okay, yes, great. But it was great watching them serve together. My dad made sure that every guy had a place to sleep, whether it was like uh, an air mattress or, you know, a cot or whatever. Like he found places for all of them to sleep. My mom fixed a huge meal for them, uh, you know, made sure they were well fed. They served together. I also loved uh, seeing them jump in and serve in areas uh, that they weren't necessarily as comfortable so that they could serve together. My mom doesn't really like going down and roughing it in Mexico, but she went so that she could serve alongside her husband and they could serve together. And I think that's another key, to be open to serving in an area that may stretch you so that you get to serve with your spouse. I've heard from multiple couples that they look for ways to serve where they can do it together. And that takes a higher priority for them than what specific ministry, uh, opportun- what the specific ministry opportunity is. Some of you have uh, seen the child. You saw Alex up front this morning, but uh, you've seen both of them up front serving together. There are plenty of couples that love serving in family ministry together. That could be you. Now, serving together doesn't always have to mean together. When one parent stays home with the kids while their spouse goes out to serve someone else, they're serving together. When a couple is serving in two different ministries at the same time, they're serving together. When they're serving in two parts of the same ministry, they're serving together. Last week, I went down the children's hallway and Megan Meyer was in the nursery with one of their kids. Kirk uh, was in the pre-K room with another one of their kids. And another one of their kids was in the lower elementary. And I love to see the Myers just attack family ministry together. Even though they weren't necessarily in the same room, it was a whole family affair. It was awesome. Also, I love often seeing the Humphreys come together in the morning where Allie will step up and sing and James will be over here making coffee for all of you. Uh, you know, and, and they're here and they're serving together even though they're in different spots, they're still serving together. So find something you can do together, whether it's together together or not. But I'd also encourage you to find something that you can do together together. It's been one of my greatest joys to get to serve with Laura in many different ways. In youth ministry, in premarital counseling, in marriage counseling, in double dates, in parenting, and in worship. Let me just end with this. Start well. To those of you that aren't yet married, whether you're dating or not, here's how you start well. First, serve joyfully in the state you're in. Serve joyfully in the state you're in. Remember that where you are is a gift. Don't be like the guy that takes the gift and goes and buries it. He's, he's given this gift and he, and he takes it and, and he hides it. And he wastes it. Don't be like him. Use your singleness. Your singleness is a gift. So use it. You can be fruitful as a single person in unique ways 
that people that are married cannot. You have flexibility to jump in and help in some last-minute opportunities. You can take longer missions trip, Megan. (laughs) You can use more of your time for service. So serve joyfully in the state you're in. Also, run towards Jesus. Let me just read you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is that whole chapter on marriage. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried man or betrothed, or I'm sorry, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This passage clearly says to devote your time and focus to God. He knows your heart and desires, and he will give you exactly what you want, even if that is a spouse or something better. I've had many students ask me, Ben, how how do I find the one? First of all, there's not the one. The one is the person that you commit your life to. But they ask me, how, how do I find a spouse? My answer is always to stop looking around and to run after Jesus. To focus on him. And what I've seen so many times is that as you're running toward Jesus, passionate about him, as you're focused on him and running towards him, you may notice to your right or to your left someone else running the same direction as you. And you go, hey, that that person's pretty cute. (laughs) And they're headed the same direction as me? Hey, maybe we should do this together. But the, the focus needs to be on Jesus and serving. And that's where you're dialed in. Not looking around, not trying to fudge the system in any way, but rather to be focused on him, serving joyfully in the state you're in. God, you've got me right here, right now, in this situation. How can I serve you here? How can I run towards you here? Now, for those doubters, this this works. You know, maybe uh, you're, you're back, you know, serving and, and doing slides. And while you're doing slides every week, you kind of look up front and see, you know, someone beautiful singing. And you're like, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm serving here and, and she's serving there. And hmm, how about that? <laughs> you know, I was in uh, college and... Was, was looking around. I was. I was distracted. I was looking around. I was trying to find some beautiful woman to, to do life with. And it, it took a while for me to realize I needed to surrender that. And we're going to sing a song in, in just a, a couple minutes that really gets into that. 
But I, I said, God, I, I need to serve you in, in the state that I'm in, and I need to focus on that. And so I started leading worship for the Christian club uh, up at Foothill College. And as I was doing so, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, I, I know someone else that, that loves leading worship, and I, I want to introduce you to her. And I met this girl named Laura, and she was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, and I thought, wow, she's way out of my league. Uh, but you know what? We're going to lead worship together, and we're going to practice a lot. <laughs> We, we didn't have to practice, like at all, but we practiced a lot. <laughs> and as the years went on, and uh, we kind of danced around each other and, and even dated other people during that time, uh, I, I kept coming back and going like, wow, like she's, there's, there's something about her. And we got multiple opportunities to get to lead worship together. And so uh, when we finally got married, I said, I know what I want our first act to be as a married couple. You know, a lot of people will take communion as a married couple or uh, do a unity candle or something like that. Our first act as a married couple was leading worship. (laughs) And so we kind of took a pause on the marriage ceremony And I strapped on a guitar, and the two of us led worship as a way of serving together in a way that neither of us could do on our own. And it was an amazing and beautiful little worship service. And so what we'd like to do is do that same thing right now and just lead you guys in worship. God... We want that to be our prayer as we go. We want that to be our heartbeat. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be. God, help us lay down what we hope for and serve joyfully where we are knowing that you know our heart's desires and you'll give us exactly what we want or something way better. God, thank you for putting us where we're at, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we have kids, whether we don't. God, you've put us right here for a purpose. Help us to use this gift that you've given us, this stage of life that we're in, which is a gift from you, and use it for your honor and glory, because that's what everything is about. Thank you so much for your love for us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great Sunday.